Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Craven Cottage, make some noise for the team of the Fulhamish Podcast! It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be looking back at our 2-1 defeat against Manchester City. What a result for Fulham. We didn't get thrashed by the champions in waiting. In all seriousness, though, it was a good performance against Pep Guardiola's machine. Carlos Vinicius scored. We didn't disgrace ourselves. That goal from Alvarez is just sensational and there's no stopping it. And maybe had the referee just just been a, a little bit more veering towards the home side, maybe, just maybe, we could have got a point yesterday. Uh, we'll also look ahead in this podcast to Wednesday's game at Anfield against Liverpool. If Spurs can score three there, then maybe Fulham have a chance. Here to dissect everything from yesterday's game, plus answer a stack full of your brilliant questions, is Dan Cook. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Jack Stroudy. Hello. Hello, mate. And he's taken an hour off baby duty. Adam for Carson. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Great to be back. Are, are you speaking hush because the baby's asleep next door or is that just generally? No, I, she, she's she's out of the house. And as exciting as it is to have brought another little cottage into the world, I decided to send her out whilst Fulhamish was recording. OK, with with, uh, with another adult or just by herself? Yes, yeah, yeah. No, she's not sitting outside the front door. She has, she has gone with her mum for a walk. OK, good to know. Um, Adam, uh, would you mind doing some three-word reviews from yesterday's game? Absolutely. So I'll kick off with Ormondroid's uh, VAR applied regulations. Um, Brian okay. Chapman with Alvarez breaks dream with Reem in brackets. He really okay. did. And when I when I, I remember watching the World Cup last December, I really should have known that when I was so excited for him to break out of Harlan's shadow, that it would come back to bite me in a sunny April day. Yeah, uh, we've got John Foster with sticks and stones, and whilst you know stones didn't break us, Alvarez and Akanji did. And whilst words didn't hurt us, um, they really hurt Jack Grealish from the Johnny Haynes stand, which was very enjoyable. <laughs> and then there was a lot of mentions of proud in the three-word reviews, but I think this one was the the perfect three-word review, which has made Lisa proud in memory of lifelong Fulham fan Lisa Hughes, who sadly passed away last week. Yes, and uh, a reminder to us all that uh, there are things uh, more important in life than football, and that that was a wonderful applause in the 46th minute for uh, for Lisa and all of our thoughts uh, with Lisa's uh, friends and family at uh, what is no doubt a really really awful time. But hopefully that minute's applause um, just made things uh, a little bit easier and was uh, was a lovely, uh, beautifully respected uh, minute by both sets of fans. Actually, credit to the Man City fans as well for uh, for joining in that uh, that beautiful minute uh, during yesterday day's game um right let's get into the action then dan and um it was just so weird walking out the hammersmith end yesterday it was almost like we'd won the game or drawn the game Uh, people were kind of singing and smiling and coming out the hammersmith end and we'd lost we'd lost a game I, i can't remember a time that's ever happened dan but that is the state of 
the game these days where a narrow 2-1 defeat against City, we'd have all probably taken that um, before the game because we were all fearing the worst, 4 or 5 nil. Fulham were 11-1 to to win yesterday, like we were some sort of non-league team in the fourth round of the cup. Um, and yeah, I think we probably would have taken that, a narrow loss and a good performance considering the juggernaut that is Manchester City right now. Yeah, yeah, I think it's symptomatic of a couple of things in this league. One, where we are in the league, which is, you know, we're doing well comparatively to what we expected this season. And so we can afford to, you know, it's not like we were, you know, if you go back two years and we desperately need wins from everywhere and suddenly you need to do what Leeds need to do next week, which is miraculously get a point off City. But also it's it's one of these things where I, going into the game, I struggle not to get pissed off because you, you play against Man City and you're like, oh, it's almost pointless. You know, it, it almost feels like there is no point and fundamentally should a, should a league like the Premier League have, have that much disparity in it? Probably not. But, you know, we've got a lot of credit in the bank and we got a lot of credit from, from a lot of outlets as well, which is always nice, especially as, you know, we've been in that bad run of form and a lot of it in the run up was talking about how we haven't beaten City in 30, you know, we've lost our last 13, I think it is against City, which as you would expect, because they have a lot more money and much better players than we do. And they always have over those past, what, 15 years. Um, but also that we're just in bad form in general. So it's, you know, there's a lot of positives to come out of it. And I think Marco Silva deserves credit as well. I think we'll touch on it. But he did change things tactically to try and negate City's threat, particularly Stones and Rodri in the middle of the park. I thought it was interesting how... Bobby Deckard over Reed and Harry Wilson were basically tasked with almost man marking them off out wide. They tucked in really narrow and Silver deserved a lot of credit because we, we were pretty solid for most of that game, barring a couple of moments, you know, where, where Bert Leno took us, you know, kept us in that game with as good as he's been all season. He just kept going and, and he pulled off a couple of wonder saves, I thought. Yeah, Jack, it's such a shame, really. We look at the two games against City this season. We've only lost them. 2-1 both games and, and both games could easily have been draws uh, for Fulham, maybe even more in that that game at, at the Etihad. So you will look holistically back at this season and I think that's indicative of the quality that Fulham have had. Look, people will point to our XG and that we should be lower down the table and we've more points than we expected. But we've gone into games like yesterday and we've been hugely competitive against the best team in this league. And whilst, you know, we shouldn't be pleased that we lost two games ultimately there are much better teams that have fared against uh, man city much much worse so there's there's baby steps and look maybe the progression next season will be to try and get a point off city try and get a win um there's something we can build on for, from this season in those performances against the top clubs it, it, it's so often we've gone toe to toe and just just lacks the result at the end of it that's maybe what fulham can do a bit more of next season yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The, the performances against the teams above us have been very good, but yeah, we've just lacked in that final third or in decision-making. But I think it shows kind of how far Fulham have come um, under Marco Silva. Obviously, in the Premier League before, under Jukanovic and Parker, you know, we've kind of, we've really struggled and you always seem to be on the end of a really, really bad result. But we, yeah, we, we've we more than held our own yesterday and we've more than held our own over the course of the season against these these big, big clubs and, you know, I'm sure we'll get onto a, a potential penalty decision, but, you know, we maybe we, you, I don't want to ponder on it too much, but you know, so on another day, we definitely could have got a result. Um, and yeah, it just shows just how far, how far we've come. And I think, you know, when City look back on the season, if they are to, are to win the league, they'll look on the six points they've picked up against Fulham and think that just how important those performances were when they weren't 
particularly at it, I, I don't think. As Jack said, you know, if we, we look back under previous Premier League seasons, the criticism we've always had is this sort of soft underbelly that Fulham Football Club just tends to have. We, you know, rightly or wrongly, over the past 10 years, we've been labelled as a nice football team. We play attractive football, but really, when push comes to shove in games where you've got to dig in, we've not really had it. And we saw a little bit of it under Parker towards the end of that Premier League season. But Marco has really given us both elements to our game which I think is so important you know we had the the grit under Parker and we had the attractive football under Ikanovic and Marco sort of brought both which which makes a huge difference because it means we can be competitive against top six sides but we can also go out and you know put away the teams below us you know we look at the games we've had at home um, in this back end of the season you look at Forest you look at Leeds those sort of games where we just go out and we are the better side we look the better side and we pick up three points and it's, it's the first time in a long time we've been like that in the Premier League. Yeah, Adam, um, it wasn't the perfect start despite us lauding um, Fulham. And it was just annoying because actually I felt like we just showed City a little bit too much respect in those first couple of minutes, allowed them to get their foot on the ball. I don't know if the belief was maybe not there. And then Fulham did actually start playing once they were 1-0 down. It was almost like we were more comfortable to be behind against against City. Um, And I actually, I, I just think that Ream... Look, it's a, it's a poor challenge. Alvarez kind of skips away from him well, but it's actually some of the build-up beforehand. Jack Grealish just being allowed way too much time um, to, to float that ball into the box. And uh, yeah, that was the only disappointment really from yesterday's game. And Marco said it on his post-match press conference where he's like, well, we basically gave them a head start. And, and that's annoying because actually the rest of the game, if you didn't give them that head start, who knows what could have happened because the more we Fulham grew into the game, we were quite clearly a bit of a match for City. I think a lot of the Fulham players probably took the first minute of the game wanting to take photos of Erling Haaland, like most of the most of the crowd were, to be honest. Everyone's like, oh my God, we're playing City. This is amazing. Let's stand back and watch them. And by the time you've done that, they've already got into the box and Reem has already taken out Alvarez. There wasn't even a chance to take in the scintillating football they were playing. We just stood off them way too early. The, the great thing about that is I'd say if we didn't go a goal down as early as we did, we probably wouldn't have even got a reaction. We would have just seen the same patterns emerging we would have been sitting back watching it happen whereas what we actually were forced to do was say okay cool we've got a game on our hands we've got nothing to lose we now need to go and fight for something and it was much more enjoyable to watch that kind of game rather than watching us hold out for 45 minutes concede just before half time and then come out and lose four five nil I know which game I would have taken but when it was after one minute you know already conceding that penalty I definitely feared the worst I thought I was going to be uh, mm. on the end of a top Tottenham style drubbing do, do you think it maybe it was tactical? You know, we talked about in our preview pod, yeah, yeah. Sonia, Sonia said that Fulham shouldn't score too early. Maybe we took that a step further and we're like, right, give City their one goal lead and mm-hmm. then we'll start to play. So also, it kind of works. If you calm down, if you calm down Erling Haaland early enough in the game, don't worry, you've got your record breaking goal. You can now just lay off us a little bit. Maybe that was our idea. Just let him get his goal and then he won't be quite as angry for the rest of the game because that seemed to work wonders. Yeah, I could not believe the size of Erling Haaland. Like, obviously, I know that he's big. I've seen him on the telly, but suddenly seeing him live in the flesh on a pitch, he was like a tree. He's just like, what? How are you? Like, <laughs> he's like something concocted in a laboratory. Uh, it's just, just madness um, how much he liked. I mean, made Tosin look like a, a borrower. It was a crazy. Lot of their team did. 
a lot of their team genuinely i've I've always thought okay city look about average size harland looks pretty massive but it's when they line up next to our team admittedly we had some of our smaller players on the pitch but even kenny tete is not the smallest man in the world but then suddenly next to the rest of their the city team he looks fairly small and you go through all of our team and they were there was a massive height disadvantage but it didn't seem to plague us especially after we were able to you know bring on diop to to even help that even up that advantage yeah i mean he's playing playing basketball i'd like to see him have a go actually i bet he'd do a few dunks wouldn't he um dan brilliant goal to get us back into it it's a lovely ball from andreas Pereira to, to harry wilson and finished so well by carlos Vinicius, um who actually yesterday i think had a seven or eight out of ten performance i thought that it was definitely his best performance in a white shirt he just seemed to be a bit more stuck in than usual. Probably should have had a second if he'd managed to to get round Edison. It was it was actually well done by Edison in the end. At the time, I was kind of swearing at Carlos Vinicius that he didn't score. And in fairness, Edison does bloody well to save it. But yeah, going back to that goal, just really nice play all in all. That's a goal that any team would be proud to score, particularly against City. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a lovely run by Harry Wilson as well, and the weight of pass from Andreas Pereira is great. And that's the sort of thing that, that we've wanted from him a lot of the season. And he does have it in his locker. And it's a lovely little knockdown. And it's just that sort of instinctive centre-four play from Carlos Vinicius. I think that's the benefit. You know, if you can get the best out of a player like Carlos Vinicius, that's what you hold over playing Bobby Deckard over Reed or Dan James up top, is that actually in the box, you've got a centre-forward who, who should know what to do in those situations, which is just react know where the goal is and put his foot through it. And it was it was really good. He brought it down well, opened up his body well. It's great that it fell on his favoured foot on his left. And it's it's a really good finish. And I'm happy for him because it's t- I'm not his biggest fan, Sammy. I, like, I think he's fine, but a lot of the time, for me, he leaves a lot to be decided with his hold-up play. But I saw more effort from him on against City, which, which is a big thing. He was chasing down lost causes a bit more. He was throwing himself about... Um, and that's that's all we can really ask from him. We know we've been over it so many times. We know he's not Alexander Mitrovic, but yeah, mm. I, I, I'd agree. Probably his best. Maybe I, th- I think probably he was better against Chelsea in that home game than he was against City. Um, but but overall, it, it's a, a decent performance from Carlos, and and I'm pleasantly surprised because I was a bit disappointed to see him in the starting eleven because I wondered if the way to get at City was to be quick and direct rather than than have Carlos sort of holding the ball up but but I think he proved Marco right playing him from the start yeah no um well done to to Carlos and uh, yeah really really nicely taken goal Jack it was just a shame really because I actually think that Fulham okay yes look City had chances Leno did keep us in the game I thought that goal was going over the bar from the Hammersmith end I was all ready to just shout way and then it just people did People did around me, Sammy. There was a couple of people who genuinely went, Wee! as it was midair, and then it just nestled. And you're like, oh, God, you look like an absolute tit. But I, I was one of those tits. I was just about to stand up. I was just about to go, <laughs> and then it just, I've never seen them dip so vicious, viciously. I don't know how to say it, viciously. Anyway, Jack, good goal. <laughs> Yeah, very, very good goal from ours. Quite deflating um, for it to go in. Yeah, the way it dips in at the last minute is. Absolutely fantastic. The way he gets away from, I think it's Polinia and Tosin both try to put a foot on him and then he, he manages to get the ball composed. And then, yeah, the dip on it's just absolutely just 
just just mental and it, it shows just the quality that City have got you know all the praise is always on Erling Haaland but you then they they play their other striker Julian Alvarez and I mean he's he scored two against us this season as well um, mm. both of his from from open play and you know see so yeah, Fulham were playing quite well at that point and you were in the game and you're thinking even if it's you know about 10 minutes ago thinking you know get to half time you never know what's going to happen and for that goal to go in it was it was frustrating but yeah what a strike honestly you can't really blame Bird Leno it's absolutely ridiculous girl yeah um second half adam i felt like fulham really had city on the ropes but then actually i like watch match of the day thinking there wasn't a hell of a lot of clear-cut chances made and that's where sometimes i think like highlights don't do the game justice because i city really were made to work and it was only maybe a the odd sloppy pass here or there, or just a moment of like bad decision making that stops Fulham getting into into the game, really. Yeah, I mean, we were definitely in that game second half, as you say. Chances didn't necessarily show that, but I think what did show it, and I remember saying to my dad when we came out of the game, is that I don't remember City having to time waste against that many teams. Usually they're far and away, but the fact that they had to resort to the tactics of going, we are going to time waste. They got several players with yellow cards at the end, and also the amount of time that they took over every single free kick that was largely in their own half because we were pressuring them so badly, they they really did have to push for that. So we did stretch City. And when we did get through, I, I still think they got really lucky if we think about that Walker um, foul. I'm going to call it what, exactly what it is, that foul on Bobby Deckwood over Reed. I mean, it's not the first time that he's been caught on camera doing something he shouldn't have done, <laughs> but I don't know how VAR didn't see that. Like, it's clear, it's clear as day that he has pulled down Bobby Deckwood over Reed, and I do not know how that wasn't given as a penalty. <laughs> Very good. Um, Dan, penalty, not a penalty. It came, at, it was almost like a, a trio of decisions that infuriated the crowd, and it was almost like a crescendo. Like The first one was Edison on, on Vinicius, which we all thought might be a penalty, and quite clearly wasn't. Um, then there was just a couple of dodgy, I think there was maybe a throw-in that wasn't, given the right way like a minute later and then that decision happened and the Hammersmith end exploded um it's one of those I look at the replay can see why VAR didn't overturn it but in the ground at that moment it's a barge it's not a it's not a shoulder it's not it's not a coming together it's not a 50 50 in my eyes walker has shoved him to the ground i mean that's what i think of it i know that there's a bit of debate online and some people are saying it's not a penalty i still just think sometimes the eye test is is all you need and from the hammersmith end it just felt like a penalty yeah because I, I, I know af sits in the in the johnny haynes but sammy and jack i know you both sit relatively close to me in the hammy and jack especially um and I was a bit annoyed because I watched the highlights back and it looked so much more a penalty in real time than it did mm. on the replay. Like in the hammy end, I was adamant. I like, I, I'd never seen a more stonewall penalty. I lost my head completely and like rarely do. But then I, I've seen the replay back and it just annoyingly doesn't look like as much of a penalty as it did at the time. <sighs> I think it doesn't get overturned either way, which then falls on this whole thing of like, do 50-50 decisions, has, has that gone against us in that situation? I think it, it has. And it's really hard to get away from the fact that that probably gets given as a penalty if it's City. And I do think it's, it's horrible because you feel like that tin hat sort of person sat there, but it really does feel when you play top six teams that these these decisions just consistently do seem to go against you, like 50-50s across the pitch. It just felt like Fulham weren't getting 
the decisions. And that's really frustrating because you've already got this massive gulf financially and, and in terms of just individual quality. You don't also need to have the, the, the those 50-50 decisions going against you so consistently. And I, I do think that if that's Julian Alvarez going down in the box at the other end, it gets given. And, and that's the frustrating thing. Whether I think it's definitely a penalty, I think maybe not. It, it is just one of those that it doesn't get overturned either way. And it's just frustrating to feel that, you know, it's little old Fulham, so we don't get the decisions. And big old juggernaut City would. Yeah, Jack? Uh, I, I think it's a penalty, to, to be honest with you. He's, he's got both hands on him. He, he shoved him down and... You know, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. If it's up the other end, it probably is given as a penalty. And you look at um, someone last night put on Twitter the penalty they got at their place uh, right at the death. And mm. I mean, De Bruyne, I think it was De Bruyne, he goes down like he's been shot and there's like no contact at all. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating. I don't really like to kind of look things in hindsight and look at, oh, we didn't get this decision. So, but the, the bat is a penalty. And I remember walking back to Hammersmith with a couple of friends and looking at it and I was just like, oh, that's just so annoying. Do you know what almost made me angry at Sammy as well? It was right after it was it was when Kenny Tete got wiped out by Jack Grealish. And mm. I cannot understand how it's not a free kick. And I, I like AF, you'd have been pretty close to it. it, it he could, yeah, it, I was loving that. Yeah, Kenny, I mean, Kenny Tete just got there first and then got clattered by Jack Grealish. And in that moment, it, it felt, in, in memory, it felt quite soon after the, the penalty yeah, appeal. It, and I was it just I was waiting for the ball to go out of play. I was thinking when the ball goes out of play, they'll look at that on VAR. So when he got clattered, I was too busy thinking, ah, they'll have a look at that decision back there to kind of realise that Jack Grealish had tried to kill Kenny Tesso, which is never a good thing to do. Never never a good route to lead yourself down with twenty minutes left in the game. Yeah, it's like South Park. Who killed Kenny? Uh, it seems to happen on a uh, almost weekly basis, really, that someone tries to take him out. Um I mean, I, I must admit that there's just sometimes I feel like the eye test does work. I, I remember thinking the same about the Willian penalty that never got given against Everton. Well, I was just like, I can see it. I know it's a penalty. Sometimes the eyes just don't deceive you. And that's one of those moments. I will like at caveat that we've had a couple of penalties this year that actually I think we were, you know, we got on the right side of the 50-50. You think back to Mitrovic against Van Dyke. That's actually a decision that normally wouldn't be given against top six club. And, and, and it was, and I was glad that it was, because it was one of those that actually, I think a referee could have easily just said, oh, get up. And uh, also the Mitrovic one that he won against Bournemouth as well was actually normally a decision not given. So I will add to that. I think Fulham have managed to get a couple of penalties that maybe have gone the right way this season. But yeah, I think you are also right that if that was Alvarez or Haaland taken out by Tosin or Diop at the other end, it just feels like that would be given the other way. And maybe because sometimes I wonder if bias comes into it because you're thinking like Kyle Walker versus Bobby Decker would overread. Kyle Walker probably won that because he's Kyle Walker. Um, and actually... I, th I think it's a penalty. Um, but yeah, the referee was hounded by the Hammersmith end. I haven't heard a uh, an appeal like that in a long time. Um, we should just address the injuries. Um, terrible, terrible luck yesterday to have well, one confirmed break, probably a second break. Tim Ream uh, confirmed to have a broken arm. He's going to be out uh, at least for the rest of the season, probably most of the summer as well. Uh, Andreas Pereira with a horrible landing on his ankle. Um, there is a, the replay of it. I wouldn't actually advise watching it because it's, it's pretty grim. I've seen it. His ankle just 
bends the wrong way that the way that it shouldn't do um adam just just horrific luck for two players that funnily enough are the only two players to have started every league game this season uh, and now both of them almost certainly won't play again um marcus silver must just be bemoaning his luck yeah, he's bemoaning his luck. I think Reem and Pereira are bemoaning their luck because they were probably thinking, do you know what, we'll see out the season, we'll see it as a, a success all round. They've been in, in every single game. They've played most of the minutes, you know, all the minutes really. And it's it's a case that I think for, for Tim Ream, it was such a big blow to, to happen early on. And you could see just the, the way he trudged off. I've seen him trudge off like that last year where he fell on his back and I was thinking, that's his season done then. And it's the second time I've ever seen him trudge off like this. And I don't like seeing Tim Ream that upset. It just upsets everybody. I hope he's all right. And then with uh, Pereira's injury as well, it was a shame because 10 minutes before that, I was thinking, we need to give this guy a rest. He is, he's playing out of his skin and he's playing every single minute. We need to give him a rest. And uh, it seems that that decision was taken out of his hands. I think he probably would have been given a rest but now he's uh he's got an extended spell on the sidelines i hope to see him back but i do think this will force fulham's hand in the transfer market quite significantly because he's so relied on for our team we have a couple of games left to be able to try out some alternatives that are already at the club um but realistically it's going to force our hand in the transfer window so it could be a positive in that respect but really hope that it's not as bad as it looks as you say sammy from those replays not good Obviously, it's so tough because, it, firstly, it's horrible that this happened to both players. But taking like a purely pragmatic view, in the same view as the Mitrovic suspension, it's really unlucky for us. But there is an element of luck here that this has happened at a point in the season where we've got nothing left to play for. And I think, in a way, for Tim Ream, it's not the worst thing in the world because one, he gets a rest, but two, it's an because it's an arm injury. I don't think that hinders him going forward as yeah. much as it would have been if you know if he'd done his back again or if if he'd have had what what Pereira's happened to you know that that could have been the end for Tim Ream we, we might not have seen him again but you know at least this has happened now at this point in the season and so whilst we can be you know bemoan our luck that we've lost two key players out to likely both breaks it's actually you know this could have happened at a much worse time but it is gutting for both of them because they have been vital and both of them have had criticism at times but overall their contribution this season has been massive and it's it's a shame that they won't be here to see out the season yeah um and jack uh, tom kenny did come on for for andreas pereira looked brilliant and surely like i know tom kenny is not a direct andreas pereira replacement but done himself no harm and, and you got, you got to give him surely the last five games to, to start and really prove what he's about Tom Kearney, even if it's in a slightly different way to Andreas, he can't press like Andreas can, but he offers us so much more going forward. Just so classy. He, I thought he was exceptional yesterday and, and definitely our player of the second half, maybe Bert Leno aside. Yeah, it was fantastic. I think he's been really good over the course of the season, coming off the bench. To be perfectly honest with you, and yeah, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a slightly different role to what he's been playing. He's been slightly deeper coming on for Harrison Reed most of the time, but I think he he does warrant this run of games actually in the starting lineup because kind of over the course of the season, you know, he's been he's been so good, but because so, everyone else has been just as good, if not better, he's not got that chance in the eleven that he probably deserves. So it's a shame that it's coming at Andreas Pereira's disposal, but it will be nice that Tom Kearney's going to get a bit of a cameo, even if it is just for the, these five games. Because as you said, he was absolutely fantastic yesterday. Yeah, One of the things really that was. I was thinking during 
his sub appearance. I don't know if this is stupid and, and feel free any of you to shout me down. But this vintage of Tom Kearney, this new player that he's molded into through necessity because of, you know, the injuries he's had. I couldn't help thinking if he was 25, 26, he would have slotted into that Manchester City team. He would like, like Pep Guardiola would love a, like this Tom Kearney, but 10 years younger. In the same way that he said it to Reem, I just looked at Kearney and his ability to get out of tight situations, to be press resistant, to pick the right pass. And I thought he, he just looked so good. And I feel like Pep was watching that and been like, tell you what, he's a player. I've never seen anybody who can get out of a room, like get out of a situation as well as Tom Kearney can. There was a situation where he, because I noticed with every every single time Fulham got the ball, there was already four or five players, uh, City players already pressing us. When Tom Kearney came on, I think there was one where he basically started juggling it around the Man City midfield. Now, there is not many players in any league in, in the top European leagues is actually going to be able to do that to Man City. They still had the majority of their main midfield playing, apart from Kevin De Bruyne, and he just walked it round them. So I totally agree with Dan's point. The only thing I would say on that is that I don't think that earlier in his career, when Tom Kenny had a bit more of the legs, he used to be able to do this. So he didn't even think about doing this because he was too busy running forwards. Now he kind of just stops. He seems the whole game. I just hope that he's got the ability to kind of carry on for a couple more years in this role for Fulham because it's vital to how we play. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's also the pairing of particularly Polina and Reed with him means that Tom Kearney doesn't have to th- do the things that we used to criticise him for, which is well, his lack of ability to press. Sometimes Tom Kearney just used to allow a midfield to go past and be like, oh dear. Um, and, and then more often than not, that player would go and score a goal, which is, I think there's less pressure on him in this system because he knows that Polina and Reed do the running kind of for him. And that allows him, it, it almost is kind of American football-esque where, you know, get the, get the tight end to deal with that person coming at me and I'll just quarterback it. Just, just protect me and I will do a job for you. So it might be a blessing in disguise, but look, we really wish uh, Tim and Andreas uh, the best and uh, a, a speedy recoveries in, in both instances. And uh, if they could get fit for next August, then that would be uh, fantastic. You imagine for Tim, three months, broken arm, probably very much doable. Andreas, we'll have to wait and see, see what the doctor prognosis uh, is. Right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we're going to get in some of your questions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it's Sammy here. Now, if you're looking for a VPN to watch football matches and TV shows which aren't available in your region, or maybe you're looking to save money by purchasing subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price, then we've got an amazing deal with NordVPN where you can get a massively discounted rate plus four free months by heading to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Now, I genuinely use NordVPN loads. Uh, for instance, back in October, I was in America for the Aston Villa game, which is on Amazon Prime. Now, I have a subscription to Amazon Prime, but obviously I was in the States, so I simply logged on to NordVPN 
switched my country back to the UK and I was able to watch the lads leave Steven Gerrard's managerial career in tatters. A subscription to NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month and you can use one account on up to six devices. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months all for free. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. You can find all the details at nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Dan, Jack and Adam. Uh, Just to say that there is I think honestly less than 10 tickets, fewer than 10 tickets, I should say, left for our uh, live show, which is next Monday, the 8th of May after the Leicester game. Um, So if you want to come along, there is a link in the description of this podcast. Uh, You can also head uh, to the Fulhamish website. There is an article up there uh, with all the links on how to buy a ticket to see Fulhamish live at the Half Moon Putney. Uh, We can confirm that our special guest is going to be Reese Parkinson, um, former radio DJ, uh, still a, a prolific TV radio presenter. Um, he is awesome. He's been on Fulhamish a couple of times now and, and Reese uh, is going to be joining us on stage at the Half Moon. Um, so get your tickets now. We would love to see you there to celebrate the season, have a couple of pints with you. It's going to be after the Leicester game and yeah, tickets selling fast, almost hopefully going to sell out uh, early next week. So if you haven't grabbed them yet, uh, please, please do. Right, let's get into loads of your questions. Um, I want to rattle through these guys because... I mean, the questions that we get are always great, but I almost want to ask every single one of these. Um, So we'll try and uh, spend a bit longer than normal um, rattling through the questions. Um, First one from Marco Silva is magic at Opinions FC. Bit niche. When was the last time we scored direct from a free kick? We've hit the post like a billion times and didn't score any last season from memory. With this in mind, I would love a move for James Ward-Prowse. Unlikely, but I am sure he will leave this summer. Come on, you whites. Am I wrong in saying that I think it's Joe Bryan in the playoff final? I think so. I think, I think so. it might be. I think it might be. We did. I don't think we scored. I think we scored any in the COVID. We, I think we didn't score any goals in the COVID season. But I, I don't remember any any free kicks. So I think it might be that Joe Bryan one. God, I, he is right, Dan. We just do. Andreas Pereira has an amazing ability to almost like crossbar challenge it whenever he takes a free kick. He just sadly never finds the top corner. But we've been so close so many times. And Harry Wilson as well. Where's where's free kick demon Harry Wilson? I'm gutted. Like he has brought so much good to this side of the what the year and nearly two years he's been here. But I was so sure he'd rattle off a couple of free kicks for us. And yeah, we have we've been unlucky and we've nearly, very nearly scored directly from a free kick in the sense that Manuel Solomon bopped it in, couldn't have missed after Prayer hit the post against Brentford. Yeah. But but direct, yeah, it, we have been unlucky. Um, but I guess it's. One, it's, it's disappointing, obviously, because everyone loves to see a direct free kick game. But also there's the positives there, isn't it? That this isn't a Fulham side built on, you know, Niskan Scabano going through his David Beckham era, as I think AF pointed out, you know, at the back end of that that COVID season and promotion where he, he single-handedly sort of just dragged us upwards with his free kicks. Mm. No, yeah, it's, it's just one of those, isn't it? I mean, I'm thinking the only like reliable free kick scorer Fulham have had in the last 10 years is Ross McCormack, really. It, he he loved a free kick, Ross McCormack. It was weird, Ross's free kicks. I never thought they were like technically that brilliant. He just always seems to find the 
back of the net, which obviously is all that's actually required. Um, but yeah, I, also just a random memory whilst discussing this. I remember when we signed John Arnarisa and I really was hoping that John Arnarisa would um, score one of those famous free kicks that he did so often for Liverpool. He tried it every single week and it always just hit the wall or hit the Hammersmith end. Um, Awful. Yeah, for a period, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it still runs, but I think he had the most shots without scoring for any Premier League player for a period of time when he was at Fulham. Like he he had a hell of a left foot on him, but he just just they never went in ever at Fulham. Uh, a seriously underwhelming uh, full of <laughs> signing, wasn't it, uh, John Arnarisa? We should have just um, got the hint when he didn't sign for us that time because his mum told him that he uh, should sign for, for Liverpool instead of Fulham. Um, we, we should have taken the hint then and uh, never gone back. Um, but yeah, be nice to score a direct free kick. Well, Andreas Pereira is not going to be uh, scoring them anytime soon. So uh, maybe it is Niskin's season again. Now he's back fit. Uh, maybe we can see a Niskin sizzler uh, before the end of the season and uh, and break the free kick curse. Um, Rumbledore says, um, why don't we give some youth players uh, a run out? We've also had uh, a question here from Jay Blankenship, who I met last week at the Aston Villa and the uh, the Leeds game. So hello to Jay. Uh, it says, with safety secured and our new injuries, does Luke Harris or any other young players get some minutes in these last few games? My dad is also banging this drum. Every time I speak to him on the phone, he's like, why aren't we playing the youngsters why aren't we playing Luke Harris why aren't we playing that Godo guy that was the only player to come out of Crawley with some credit um it is true Dan that I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more of like at least one young player before the end of the season yeah I think Luke Harris I think that that feels like a no-brainer to me I think it will happen he won't he won't come into the starting 11 but there's now a spot a spot on the bench which has reopened up for him since you know when when Kearney was injured, Luke Harris was on the bench, and obviously he came back, and that pushed Harris out. I think he'll 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 feature. I'm pretty certain of that. I wouldn't mind again with Tim Ream's injury. I wouldn't mind now seeing Charlie Robinson make an appearance on the bench again. I think he's done it once this season, maybe twice. It's an opportunity for him as a player. I, I, I like he's he's a tall, physical centre back, but pretty comfortable in possession when I've seen him. I like Charlie Robinson. I know Peter Rutzler's a, a big fan of Charlie as well. Um, so I think those those are two players that I would, would like to see. Harris, I think, will definitely happen. We may see Charlie Robinson come in. I, as much as we love the cult hero that is Shane Duffy, there is absolutely zero point in him playing any football for the next five games. Like I, I know that, that feels harsh and we love him because he's Shane Duffy, but... If, if he's going to be on the bench, I, I, you may as well just play Charlie Robinson because it doesn't matter what we do and Shane Duffy isn't going to be here after five games. So you may as well get someone through the academy through, in my opinion. I don't know if that's ridiculous, but... Well, I think that's what my, my dad was making the point, Jack. He said, previous seasons... I don't know if the club's made this excuse or if the fans have made this excuse for the club, but it's always been said, well, because we're going for promotion or we're fighting relegation, we can't play the youngsters. It's too uh, it's too risky to play all these youngsters when when we've got when our lives on the line. And then suddenly it seems like well, our lives aren't on the line for the first time in 6 years and we're still just not giving anyone um a, a run out. But I I what I've what I've been saying back to my dad is I don't think Marco Silva sees it this way that maybe us or the media do that there's nothing on the line. They want to reach a record points total. There's two million ish pounds for every place you rise in the Premier League. It's not nothing on the line here. Yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that that's the main point Marco Silva said a few times in the press in his pressers 
that they want to break that points total. And we're we're not we're not a million miles away from it with some you know some favourable games. It, we we could we could still do it. So maybe he's thinking about that and not thinking about potential youngsters. I think yeah, Luke Harris is is the banker. I think he he will he will feature at some point, especially now the Pereira Pereira injury and maybe obviously we've talked about Tom Kearney, but he's not necessarily a like for like replacement for. Andreas Pereira, so maybe Luke Harris gets some minutes there. Um, and yeah, obviously there's others. There's Robinson, there's uh, Godot, there's that Callum McFarlane as well, the, mm. the, who could potentially get a, a bench appearance. But yeah, I, I, I'd like to maybe see some more, including in the youth. But I mean, if you're offering me that or we, we, we break our record points total, I'm, I'm going to pick the record points total. Yeah, I, I think it's un, it's it's hard to underestimate as well what, you know, an extra two million, an extra place in the Premier League means. I mean, look, we've been talking about ticket prices and the impact of, you know, does this money matter and stuff like that. And when there's a free two million pounds on the table to to finish a place higher in the league or the division or whatever, or avoid finishing one place below, you know, Palace are a bit of a juggernaut at the moment. They could take our 10th spot if we're not careful, particularly in that game that we got against them in a few weeks. And I think that just playing a team full of youngsters is never going to happen. But I think you're both right. Luke Harris makes sense. Maybe someone else in that final United game, especially if like a place is absolutely secured. If we can't, if we can't move out of 10th spot, particularly on that final day, then that absolutely surely is a time to see a couple of youngsters. But I think until something like that happens where it's mathematically impossible for us to change positions or something, then I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably keep it how it is uh, for now. Uh, Justin asks, I'll go to you on this one, Adam with Reem out for the season. We'll see Diop and Tosin together. My question is who should be the left center back? I thought Diop performed well there versus city, but I thought some of his left footed passing, especially long range left a lot to be desired thoughts. I'd, I'd caveat with saying that, that, I'd like to see maybe Diop playing there when it's not against a team with the intensity of Manchester City. Your passes have to be 100% perfect against City and they don't always have to be against other teams in the Premier League. For sure. I think actually probably the main reason that Diop ended up playing left centre-back in that game was because I didn't want to disrupt it twice with the fact that Tim going off, they probably went, okay, let's do a like for like and put Diop in there rather than Tosin moving position and then putting Diop in on the right. It just would have disrupted the back four even more than that, you're totally right in the fact he was pressured so much with this passing, probably more than Tosin was. Tosin seemed to feel like he had more time. I think he just naturally uh, seems calmer than, than he was earlier in the season. But I, I would like to see it continue with uh, Tosin on the right-hand side and Diop on the left. The only thing that I would say on this is that when we've seen them both play together, it's not clear which one should take up that berth. I think that they need to be given time to say, okay, this is Marco's decision and he's going to stick with it. Whereas what we used to have was one coming in for Reem, one coming in for Tosin and them kind of swapping and changing a little bit. I think having these games, as, as we said, as bad as it was for Tim Reem having that injury, having those games to really settle in a partnership will get uh, Marco the answers he needs as to, is this the long-term partnership going forward or do we need to sign a left centre-back to replace Tim Reem? Can Diop or Tosin uh, to fill that gap? Sorry, I haven't answered the question fully there, but I think it's more Marco's decision because I I don't know who is the better left centre back out of them if either of them are. Just just to follow up on on AF, I, I think what Diop was doing at West Ham when we signed him was he was actually playing at left centre back, and I think that the thought process actually was originally that despite being right footed, Diop is is a player comfortable playing on the left hand side, and that's where he used to play for West Ham. So I think that's likely what will happen uh, long term. Will it work? I think these next five games are a great indicator of that. 
but I think it, it will likely be D up on the left. But I do completely agree with the. I, I forgot who's writing the question in, but I completely agree with their point that there there is a there are negatives. There's a drawback to playing a right footed player at left back at left centre back, especially if their left foot's not great because you do cut down those passing lanes. If you're, you know, Harry Maguire, I think is a perfect example of a player who plays at left centre-back, but often gets himself into trouble because he loses his passing options when he has to use his left foot. Um, so I think I think it would be Diop, but it would be interesting to see over these next five games. It's a good tester for next season, right? This is this is a, an interesting point to, to see play out over these next five games. Yeah, and, and that left-footed pass that Tim Ray, Tim Ream makes to Anthony Robinson so much. It's, it's, it's a weird technique he has on it. It kind of curls towards Anthony Robinson and he plays that ball so much. And you wonder now if maybe our left-hand side will struggle a little bit because Ream and Robinson have just got that amazing understanding between each other. So it'd be interesting to see if Diop, if he is the left centre-back, which I agree with you, Dan, I think he will be. Um, and I always did feel like Diop was a you know, he had to adapt playing right centre-back when he played with Tim Ream. And we all thought this might be the partnership that would play this season. But see, Tim's performances have managed to keep him in the team. It's another tiny silver lining. Obviously wouldn't have wanted Tim to break his arm to the last five games. Marco Silva's hand is forced now in order to experiment for these last five games and, and see if this is a long-term partnership or if we're going to have to invest in another kind of first-choice centre-back in the in the summer, which you imagine Fulham will at least look at that option um, come, come the window. Uh, this next question, uh, I've got two kind of similar questions. One's from FFC Dom, the other's from at It's, at it's Only Fulham. Um, is Leno better than Ariola was? Ariola was brilliant, but Leno is just unbelievable. Uh, although he says, I realise there might be a slight bias because we never saw Ariola in person. Uh, at It's Only Fulham said, could Leno be on track to be the best keeper to ever wear a Fulham shirt? Um, yeah, I mean, Jack, Leno is, he's crept up on us through the season. Just of, and, and yesterday was just, formidable uh he's probably doing his old side uh, trying to do his old side a little bit of a favor uh yesterday with, with some of his saves he's definitely played his part um I, I think at the moment Leno might be pushing Schwarzer um for that kind of legendary Fulham keeper status I think he's gonna have to go some to to eclipse van der Sar in my element of uh, of all-time Fulham goalkeepers but you know a couple more seasons and he might get there yeah but Leno has just been absolutely Fantastic over the course of the season. Obviously, neutral perspective, people will look at players of the season Fulham and everyone will, the first name that everyone will go to is Jao Plinia and, and fair enough, he's been absolutely fantastic. But Bayern Leno, for me, I think you could make the argument he's been just as, if not more important than, than Jao Plinia. He's been absolutely phenomenal. The amount of times he's, he's with his saves and even when we were on that run here, after the World Cup where we were singing about going on the European Tour, you look at Leicester away, you look at Brighton away, That those points... Obviously, we had to score the goals that we did, but those points, a lot of them are down to Burn Leno. And I think back on the, the Leno and Ariola thing, obviously there is a little bit of um, bias towards Leno because you saw him play Ariola was obviously during the COVID season and maybe it's down to the team that Ariola was playing in. But Ariola kind of reminded me, it was he would save us, he would keep us in games, whereas Burnt Leno is winning us games. So for that, I think that Burnt Leno probably edges Ariola for me. And then in terms of the Mark Schwartz, the one I agree, he's, he's creeping up on him, but I think because of the longevity of Mark Schwartz, I think at the moment he's there. Both obviously were really cheap signings, but who knows, Burt Leno in the future, we could be talking up there with Van der Sar, who knows? 
Adam, I know you did some stats. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. These two are absolutely incredible goalkeepers in their own right. But picking between them is like trying to pick one of your favourite Avengers. They're both pretty good. Both a solid pair of hands or, or gloves. Um, but really, looking, <laughs> I looked at the matches between them and you've got 132. This is Premier League matches. You've got 132 for Leno, 44 for uh, Ariola. So if, I've adjusted some of these stats to make up for that. But save success is, is about 4% better for, for Leno in the Premier League. Save per match is about 0.3 better per game, which is, an, again, another good stat. But this is where I think um, Leno really comes out on top. And it's actually the, the number of sweeps per match. You know, you're expecting around 18 um, sweeps from, from Leno, even in a single match, which is which is fairly ridiculous. And you can see how much of a difference that makes when it comes to those one-on-ones with Haaland. He's consistently sweeping, but he's also, as soon as he gets that ball, he's the first to kind of look for an attack. I think, for me, that would be the main difference between Ariola and Leno. Maybe again, as Jack said, it's, it's due to the team that he was in. I wouldn't exactly be looking forward in Parker's team thinking, yeah, I'm going to hit them on the break. But I think Leno is always, even against Manchester City, the top side really in, in this division. He's already looking at how he can start an attack there um, after he's sweeped up the ball. So it's not only saving us on several different occasions, but it's also trying to get us up the other end of the pitch rather than just you know kicking it long on the discussion around you know is he our best ever goalkeeper we're going to need a couple more years to, to even get to discussing that one as you say van der Sar is so high up there but isn't it great that Fulham have been blessed well I say blessed with some of these world-class goalkeeping talents I don't think that many clubs would be able to say that they've had high caliber high caliber goalkeepers that consistently in their team for the last 20 years Agreed. I, th- I think one thing is that that is as a result of us having to watch Gabor Karai. I think that's only fair enough that ah. we've had the, the, the other goalkeepers around it. But the other thing I wanted to say, just to maybe tie it off, is that I don't know if, if it's that ridiculous to say, but I think Bert Leno's probably had a better season than Aaron Ramsdale's had, which I think is interesting. He's definitely been a better shot stopper. Statistically, he has been. Distribution-wise, that's where, you know, Arteta hung his hat is that, that Ramsdale, you know, out in, in possession with the ball at his feet is better. And that's probably true. However, I wouldn't say that the Leno's distribution has been poor this season. I think I feel pretty comfortable with him possession. Marco trusts him. We still build through him. We still play out from the back. Um, and after Aaron Ramsdale gave the ball straight to Carlos Alcaraz a couple of weeks ago. You know, he's not infallible. So I think it's interesting to see that maybe we've actually ended up with the the better goalkeeper of the pair right now. Now, Aaron Ramsdale's obviously younger and he's got more more room to grow. But in terms of benefiting this season, I think we've come out on the right end of that, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I still think one of the signings of the summer, if you look even in the whole Premier League, um, it's, it was an outstanding bit of business uh, from Fulham and uh, so happy that uh, Burnt had his chart as well. And uh, there was lots of opportunities to sing it yesterday because uh, I think he was kind of the star of the show, particularly in the first half. And um, so unlucky not to save that penalty. That's the next thing I think Burnt needs is can you uh, save a big penalty? Because he's been so close so many times. And uh, imagine in the Hammersmith end if he'd have managed to keep out that Haaland penalty, it would have absolutely erupted. And he got a small hand to it, didn't he? But it was just so much pace on it from from Erling Haaland it was almost unsavable really when it was in the corner um this one from Fulham Catalonia says is Silva hiding Solomon in order to keep other sides away from him this summer and be able to sign him um very cynical there from our uh, from our friend uh, over in Catalan um Dan I feel like Man of Solomon's performances have 
I've been on the wane a, a, a little bit. I don't know. It's a bit harsh to, to judge him uh, like this, but I don't know. Has he been? Has he been a little bit found out? Is he? I, I don't want to call him a one-trick pony, but it, it is. It's bordering on Pavel Pogrebniak kind of levels of just like unbelievable start, and then actually, you know, is he everything that we thought he was? I don't want to write him off at all like he's he's been given about 10 minutes to come off the bench in every game and Willian's kind of kept him out of the team but there has been a couple of performances of late which are like okay at one point I genuinely thought you were going to be the next Robin Van Persie and now I'm not 100% sure yeah it's interesting because I was pretty miffed uh for a few weeks that Marco wasn't giving Manon more of a chance especially after that February that he had but then Actually, looking at his performances against Villoy, obviously he was thrown into the starting eleven, not expecting to start. But as Marco said, he was ready. He was, you know, he's in the squad. He was ready to play. And then his cameo yesterday. It's actually, I've, I've actually sort of changed my mind on it. I think it seems to be justified that that Marco hasn't used him very much, and I, I don't think it's anything sinister. I just think it's that he's not currently at the level needed, and and that's surprising because he looked unbelievable for that period of time. And I don't know if, you know, obviously every player goes through form and I hope he's not just a flash in the pan. He had that run of games where he looked immense because I think there, there were elements to his technical ability where you're like, this guy can really play football. But I think it's been justified, Marco, not playing him because he hasn't been as good as Willian over the past two months. And and the other thing is that I yesterday was the first time and, and maybe a little bit of it as well, where I started to question, and I don't know if this is harsh, Manor's sort of attitude at the moment he he came on yesterday and he looked sulky he looked a bit pissed off he miscontrolled one inexplicably that went out for a throw in and he sort of just pointed down at the pitch and threw his hands up in the air he got sent you know a ball went through for him to chase through on goal it was too heavy but he just gave up on it straight away he didn't bother chasing it down it meant that Edison could have the ball at his feet for 10-15 seconds because Manor didn't want to put in that effort and despite the fact that he'd only just come on the pitch and so I'm a little bit worried attitude wise whether it's that he's annoyed that he's not playing and if that's the case well then he should be doing more to prove why he should be playing and then two is it because that's it for him he's not not going to be here next season and I'm starting to wonder whether that might actually be the case that that this is it for Manor that he's either got another club in mind or we've decided that you know he's not the player for us but I wouldn't be surprised if if the next five games the last games that he has for Fulham for me it screams he's he's genuinely trying to avoid an ankle injury every single 50 50 um there was quite a few examples against Villa where I was just thinking do you know what if you know that you're going to be either especially since we've brought him back through his recovery I hope this isn't the case but you just saw him bottle a couple of 50-50 challenges. And I was just thinking, I wouldn't expect, you know, someone who's going to be here next season to be um, bottling out of those. The other thing as well is that when he has started to look a little bit sulky, there's a number one remedy for that one. And it's just, I don't think Marco even worries that much if players are trying their, their best, but not actually coming off for them. We've seen that with Andreas Pereira. He's had a few off games, but because he's always been giving 100%, you don't ever see him drop out of the team. For that reason, I think seeing with Manor, I would really like to see a change in attitude if he is going to uh, prove that he should be here next season. But for me, it's just screaming, avoiding injury to get his next big move. Yeah, I'm hoping that it is just a, a patch of form and that he can get a goal. Um, I, w- I still wouldn't mind seeing him in that upfront role as well, particularly maybe the uh, the away game that's coming up at, at Liverpool, which we'll discuss um, after the break. But 
you know, especially with the the performances of, of Dan James in the last couple, which uh, brings me on to Alani's point saying how crap must Everton have been to make Dan James look like a competent footballer, uh, which is a bit harsh, Jack. But I actually thought that that sub didn't work yesterday. Harry Wilson coming off for Dan James um, kind of killed some of the momentum that we had. I thought a couple of those changes made sense, you know, maybe the, the Solomon for, for Bobby Deckard over Reed made sense in theory, but that was the moment actually where I knew the game was up yesterday. Just, I felt like that change coupled with Bernardo Silva coming on and really controlling that midfield kind of that last 10 minutes. I actually wasn't confident that Fulham were going to get back into the match. I, I thought the game was up after that point. Yeah, the game, the game really did fizzle out. Well, I will say, I do I do think um, it's a bit harsh on Dan James. I don't think we necessarily played to his strengths yesterday when he came on. Obviously, against Everton, he got his goal because we you know, played the ball over the top and then he controlled it and, and whatnot. And every time that, um, for me anyway, every time that we got the ball and there was the option just to, you know, play it over the top, see if Dan James can, can, can get the better of the City defence, they would wait for Dan James to come short, and then obviously, then you're relying on his technical ability, which you know isn't isn't as strong as other members of of the of the squad. So, yeah, I I've, I, I it, as a sub, it didn't make sense in terms of just how wh- why we were playing the way we were playing with him. I would have liked to have just just a couple of times, just play a ball over, just 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 see what happens. We weren't creating anything anyway. The game was really starting to fizzle out, so there would there would have been no shame in just you know punting one and just and just hoping that he can get on the end of it yeah 100 percent. it was just i don't think dan james plays that late sub cameo role well i think that's when we've seen the worst of dan james and obviously the the absolute nadir was uh the southampton game where he came on and just almost couldn't control the ball i think if you're going to play dan james play him in that role i, I think Look, he had one game against Everton where he was brilliant. He struggled against Villa, but a lot of teams have struggled to make an impact against Villa because they're fantastic defensively. Um, I don't know. I think maybe the last couple of performances have put to bed some of the slightly overreactionary should we sign Dan James chats, which, you know, it was one game. It was amazing. We all loved it. But I think we've quite clearly proven that that is not a a sensible um, use of of Fulham's money. And look, if Leeds go down, which it looks very, very likely that they will, I imagine that uh, Dan James is the kind of player that Leeds might want or need to keep in the championship. He'd probably do absolute bits uh, in the championship if he was uh, given a run of games, uh, especially with that pace. Um, Final question uh, from um, Fulham Fan News at Fulham Transfer, who uh, says, assume with Pereira's unfortunate injury that rumours of him leaving will now be over. If it's a broken ankle, as reports in Brazil are saying, he's looking at five months out. Um, so who will play as the 10 going forward? I mean, we kind of discussed that, but um, Adam, yeah, I mean, that probably will impact Pereira's being able to move um, this summer, which has been heavily linked. And it's still a transfer that I've been a bit like miffed as to um, a mad kind of surprise that that was ever on the cards anyway. I, I feel like any, if even if he's using us as a stepping stone, we've seen plenty of players do that. It's very rare unless you absolutely set a league on fire that you're able to do that for one season only. Let alone now he's got he's got that um, obviously injury that it pretty much scuppers any move unless someone's really banking on him for the long term. But it's not going to be one of the top clubs that's going to come in for an injured player at that point in time. Um, I also I, I'd like to think that some of those stories were a little bit fake. I've seen some interviews with him where he really did seem to say he just wanted to find a home for a little bit of time. A lot of players do say that, but it's amazing how many players do find a home at Fulham and say, OK, this is where I'm meant to be for a little while. They like living in London. 
Um, and until he sets a league on fire, he's not really going to go anywhere. In terms of who's going to look at playing that number 10 role, we obviously we touched on it earlier with the, the idea of Tom Kearney being there. That's uh, my ideal scenario. I don't think he's he's not going to be able to play 90 minutes. We know that anyway. So even if he starts in the 10 role, you're likely to see someone like Ollie, o, not Ollie O'Neill, sorry, uh, Luke Harris come on, on to probably play that role for, for most of the sub-appearances. But there's no reason um, that you couldn't have Harry Wilson play in that, that role. He's played it exceptionally well in, in the past. And I'd actually love to see him him get a go there. Uh, we've seen Bobby try and play that. And I think he can play absolutely fine. But I'd actually be looking towards next season thinking, OK, if we're going to bring in a couple of wingers, we're a bit light in that position. Could Harry Wilson do a job here as well? Um, rather than trying to shoehorn someone in there, let's, let's try and see if... Um, we, we can actually stick with what's going to be here next season. Yeah, although I'd like to see Bobby in that role. Let him cook. Let him have a let him have a little role in the number ten. I've always wanted to see if Bobby um, at number ten behind Mitrovic. I always think that was something that we've never really seen happen, and I'm always thinking like that could work so well. Imagine the the knockdowns that that Bobby could get. Um, maybe it's just the uh, the Mike Bassett in me that just wants Fulham to play four four effing two. Um, that uh, that that wants that to happen. Uh, pining for the Zamora and Gira days, basically. I think that screams of um that'll do for the questions today thank you so much and brilliant questions in there today so um that was excellent right we're going to take a short break afterwards we're going to look ahead to liverpool Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy still here with Dan, Adam and Jack. Let's look ahead then to Liverpool on Wednesday, our final midweek game of the season. Um, unless you count uh, Leicester on bank holiday Monday as a midweek game. No, it's not a midweek game, is it? It's uh, eight o'clock kickoff up at Anfield. Uh, this is a game that should have been played uh, about six weeks ago because uh, Fulham were in the FA Cup quarterfinal. In hindsight, I think we'd all just rather had a trip to Liverpool uh, than that fateful day. Um, and Dan, this is a more difficult game than I was expecting. I, I still have it in my head that Liverpool are a bit all over the place, but actually you look at their recent form, um, four wins in a row, 6-1 uh, away at Leeds. They beat Forest 3-2, uh, they beat West Ham 2-1 uh, and they beat Spurs yesterday, an incredible game, 4-3. Uh, uh, looked like they'd thrown away a three-goal lead and then Diogo Jota uh, won it in the dying minutes. Um, annoying that I left the pub on 91 minutes yesterday. Uh, that was a mistake. Um, <laughs> missed that missed the best part of the game uh quite frustratingly but I think there's something to be said in all of those wins that Liverpool have picked up that yeah they've managed to get across the line but they are conceding goals and I still think this Liverpool team can be got at oh for sure like the, the, there is this is a great opportunity to you know, to to get a, something out of a game at Anfield, which doesn't come around very often, you know, especially not in, in recent seasons, as Liverpool have hit seriously great levels under Klopp, and this has been their worst season in a while. And, but they are they are back to an extent. They're not the Liverpool that they have been under Klopp, but they've got goals back in their side. You know, you've got Diogo Jota who's come back in and has been fantastic since coming back from injury, and I'm glad because I I really do like Diogo Jota. I think he's a very good footballer and. It, probably not underrated, but in a sense, maybe not held to the levels that he should be because he's maybe not the most exciting of footballers, but he's very good in front of goal and he's a very calm, intelligent player. And then you've got Luis Diaz coming back as well, which is he's another fantastic player. You've got obviously you've got Salah in there as well. But 
defensively they're, they're there to be got at. You know, there there are chances against this this Liverpool side. This this is a, a a different Virgil Van Dijk. He is not at the level that we have seen Van Dijk at in, in previous years, and that's the injury most likely. You know, it's tough to recover from those things. And they've struggled when they've your teams have run at them and tried to get in behind them. Van Dijk doesn't have that pace anymore. We all know that that Trent's maybe not the the most defensively brilliant right back in this shift of him playing more centrally has worked well, but it's meant that there are chances to be created. And I think this is a game that probably, as I feel bad saying after he scored against City, but, you know, maybe it's where you shift Vinny out and we go back to playing Dan James, Manuel Solomon, Bobby, someone up top that will allow us to stretch this Liverpool team a little bit. And if, there's, there's definitely something there. I, where, am I expecting anything? No, probably not. Because I think Liverpool are still really hunting for something now. They've, they they can smell European qualification. They can smell potential chances nip in, but it's a chance. And and not often do you get to say that recently at Anfield. Yeah, Jack. Um, it, it feels like certainly that Fulham can go there and just upset the apple cart a little bit. I think if a team like Forrest is going there and scoring a, a couple of goals, then I can see Fulham scoring at Anfield, and and that's exciting. And and it's going to be such a different lineup because you're going to, we've, we've already talked about the injuries, but you've already got two enforced changes um, to this lineup. But yeah, um, I, I just have this weird feeling going into the game that we'll, we'll, we might, we might spoil the party a little bit, even if we eventually lose. Yeah. It's not the worst shot in the world to suggest that we're going to go there and get a result. Obviously going forward, they've got absolute quality and abundance. And I think the reason why they've got over the line is, purely just because they've got just so many good players going forward. But as mentioned already, defensively, they're not particularly great. I think in midfield is where they, they've they been lacking for quite a while. You know, the midfield three, I know Trent sometimes drops in, but the midfield three against Tottenham was Fabinho, Curtis Jones, and of course, Harvey Elliott. And I think if they're going to line up with something along those lines, and Fulham can very much compete in that midfield battle and have a fair chunk of the ball. It's then just down to whichever, you know, attacking four, if you will, we we go with to see if we're gonna if we're gonna create anything with obviously with the injuries that we've got, we might it might be a little bit similar to Villa in terms of we struggle to create chances. But there's nothing to suggest that on on the counter, as you mentioned, if we if we played someone like Dan James, that we, we won't create chances and, and we won't score goals. And obviously Liverpool are scoring for fun, but we've already talked about how fantastic Bern Leno was on the weekend. So there's nothing to suggest that he's not gonna be at it again. It's funny as well because I think that there's something that stood out to me after the the Spurs game um, is that the Klopp. It's not the first time he said this. He had a criticism about us. I think under Scott Parker when we got a one or draw at home, um, where he has this real anger towards teams that play a little bit industrially against them, that try and sit in and hit them on the counterattack. Because I think philosophically it's a style that he doesn't agree with and he had a go at, at Ryan Mason for, for you know playing just counter-attacking football when you've got such a great squad of players and when we got a one or draw against them he said something along the lines of oh they just played long ball football and it's clear that I think this is a level of almost kryptonite to this Liverpool side if you try and go toe-to-toe with them in general I think you're probably going to struggle um, maybe not so much this season but in general it's it's difficult to battle against Liverpool's energy that they've got but he clearly doesn't like it when teams play a little bit ugly, a bit rigid and try and hit them on the counter because I think fundamentally he doesn't like teams playing like that against him because it does expose them at times. 
Yeah, I'm a bit annoyed that Diogo Jota will be available for this one. I thought that was an absolute stonewall red card um, for the high boot against Oliver Skip. How that isn't given as a red card, Adam, I have no idea. It's... He's literally cut, he's cut his head. He's come off and he's gone, okay, and it wasn't like Oliver Skip was massively ducking down. He's a six-foot lad, probably ducking down, what, half half a foot? Yeah. If, if Diego Jota can get his foot up there as well, it's a high foot. If it's a particularly tall player, okay, we'd have a, have a chat about it, but it's not. He's volleyed him in the head and still available for this game. But we, we've we've been on the end of um, players who probably shouldn't be available scoring against us. And I, I probably have no doubt that we'll uh, be on the end of that on Wednesday. Yeah, it was a poor decision. And, and I, I think like I was watching Match of the Day and Klopp was like, yeah, well, did you see Oli Skip's penalty? And you were like, um, well, yeah, I know that that should have been a red card as well. That doesn't mean that Diogo Jota is justified. Um, but um, yeah, that's uh, it's, it's, a tr- it's a tricky one really to get right. Um, Adam, in terms of Fulham, uh, who do you think will uh, uh, start in this one? I'll probably see, uh, I think the goalkeeper's probably a little bit nailed on. Uh, probably see Kenny Tesse uh, line up at right back. Uh, I don't think that you'd switch that one with enough of the back four already changing. You'll see Tosin, uh, Diop. Uh, I we have no replacement for Anthony Robinson as much as I'd, I'd like to see one potentially uh, at that point in the game. We'll probably line up with Paulinho and Reed in the middle with Tom Kearney in front of them. I then expect to see um, Bobby Deckard over Reed Wilson. And I still think Vinny keeps his place. My reasoning for that is because in the same way that Dan James kept his place, well, eventually after the game that he had to miss against Leeds, he kind of came back in. I still feel that that will happen with Vinny, especially after he's gone and scored that goal. He should be high on confidence. If we play off Vinny in the right way and that we have Wilson and Bobby Deckard over Reed on the wings around him, we should still be able to cause enough problems. Uh, but then it does also restrict us to Dan James being that kind of impact sub, which we know he doesn't play well. So maybe we just don't see Dan James. I won't be too unhappy. Jack, any alterations from Adam's lineup? Um, I think the only thing I would maybe go with is is Dan James because I think we're going to be more likely to go on the counter attack. It does feel harsh on Vinny, um, but I just think if you try and you know have him jostling with the likes of Van Dyke, we might struggle to to create. And we saw when we didn't have much of the ball um, away at Villa um, when Vinicius came on, he was he was he was pretty poor. Yeah. Um, in terms of his hold-up play and bring his others in. So I, I would bring Dan James in and fingers crossed that Anfield have got a dry pitch like uh, like we did. In, <laughs> in God, that feels like a light years ago that uh, that, that game uh, happened at the beginning of the season. Uh, proof that uh, Fulham can definitely go toe-to-toe uh, with this uh, Liverpool side. How things have changed. We went into that match being like, please don't batter us 5-0. Now we're like, yeah, we can go win at Anfield. Why not? We haven't even got Mitrovic or Pereira or Tim Ream. We're going to go there and win. Uh, um, yeah, how how things have uh, rapidly changed uh, since August and the expectations, etc. Uh, right. That's already been pretty long for a podcast today, but I um, hope you've enjoyed uh, the bumper kind of extra 15 minutes than usual. Uh, Adam, what would you like to go with as today's podcast name? I think we're going to have to go with sticks and stones for this one. Lovely. Very good. Very apt. All right. Uh, thank you very much for my guest today, Dan Cook. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sammy. Jack Stroudley. Thank you. Cheers, mate. And Adam, thank you. Thanks, Sammy. Cheers. 
Uh, we'll be back with the Thursday club. We'll try and get it out on Thursday. Uh, myself and Coops are going to Liverpool, so we're going to record it uh, from the uh, from the beautiful city uh, in Merseyside. Uh, so it should be out at some point on Thursday. And then, of course, uh, this time next week, it's the uh, Fulhamish Live after Leicester. So have a lovely start to your week, whatever you're doing. And uh, we'll see if we can get another famous win up at Anfield. Come on, you guys.